Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So um, this month in May, I don't know if any of you saw the news or noticed that an advocate, a famous advocate, Julie Beckett, passed away um, at home and uh, she died at age 72 of a heart attack. So if you don't know who Julie Beckett is, I'd love to take a minute just to kind of walk you through the amazing changes that she brought for families like mine. So um, reading some excerpts from the New York Times article that was just fantastic in chronicling what Julie was able to get done for her daughter, Katie. So, um, Katie was born in Iowa and she, um, she was born in 1978 and four months later as an infant, she contracted viral encephalitis. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. Um, and the disease paralyzed her diaphragm and left her dependent on a vent and other equipment that she needed for survival. If you can think back, I mean, my daughter Elizabeth was born a two pound preemie in 1996. And the difference in care 22 years later from, from 1978 to 1996 and the things that I was expected to do at home with her rather than in an institution like a hospital or a nursing home. So being on events and other equipment, um, Within three years, the Becketts had exhausted their million-dollar health insurance policy because health insurance policies back then had caps. A lot of them still do today, but back then was more popular. So they applied for MassHealth, for, I'm sorry, not MassHealth, for Medicaid in their state, and were told that you know Medicaid would not cover in-home care, would only cover if, if Katie went to a hospital or a nursing home. So we call this institutional bias where, you know, Medicaid will cover the same care in a hospital at potentially more expensive costs, potentially, not always, and not in the community. So this institutional bias still exists today. It's better, but it is not perfect. So faced with this prospect of not being able to live with and care for her daughter, um, Julie Beckett invited her congressman, Tom Tauk, to visit Katie. And she, this, this wonderful mom 
presented him with data that she had collected. She, she researched this and was showing that allowing kids like Katie to live at home was going to not only be better for kids and families, but it was also going to save the government money. So um, then the, the senator, um, congressman, sorry, um, went to Vice President then George Bush and started pleading the Beckett's case. And Bush went right to Ronald Reagan and told him about it. And in a news conference in November of 1981, um, President Reagan singled out the Beckett story. And there's this great picture uh, that uh, of, of President Reagan hugging Katie. This is so beautiful. So um, he said, now, by what sense do we have a regulation in government that says we'll pay $6,000 a month to keep someone in a hospital that we believe would be better off at home? The key question, right? Um, and so two days later, the Secretary of Health and Human Services then issued a waiver stating that Medicaid would, in fact, cover Katie's care at home. By the next day, 247 families had called asking for the same treatment, and they all got it. So this is known as the Katie Beckett waiver. They're called different things in different states. If your state has signed on to this waiver, it's a kid's waiver. And in Massachusetts, uh, we call it our Kaylee Mulligan waiver. So they established a commission to work out the criteria for this waiver and to encourage states with carrots, not sticks, to uh, adopt them. And every state today has some form of a Katie Beckett waiver, every state. So um, Katie became one of several children um, whose health struggles in the 1980s made them human interest celebrities and the subjects of nightly news coverage and newspaper profiles, and then you know ultimately state and federal legislation. As a parent advocate, there is so much that you can do. Change can be made by one person. Um, so Katie and her mother used this exposure to to lobby the government for long-term changes. And honestly, I mean, they've impacted millions of children and their families in, in the last few decades since that happened. So um, just because Julie got what she needed for Katie, she didn't stop there. She, she took that experience and pushed forward. And she was a teacher. She left her job and became a full-time activist and advocate and traveled the country um, lecturing and teaching and lobbying and, and rabble-rousing, making change. So even after Katie died in 2012, and I remember this so clearly because my daughter Elizabeth was really in her final stages of her disease. Um, and she ended up dying in 2013. And I, I so connected with this 
story and this experience, she still continued her activism. She moved forward with further things, further legislation, further lobbying, and and further um, advocacy in the disability rights community. And she worked on the um, Affordable Care Act and um, just a, a bunch of other things. I don't want to go through the whole list here, but she um, she wrote an article for the ACLU talking about how this is really just a human campaign and. For me, she was a hero because I would not have been able to keep Elizabeth at home without the, you know, 12 to 24 hours a day of nursing care at various points of her life that we needed to survive and stay at home and in the community. And even with that support, it was hard. But Elizabeth lived so much longer than was predicted for her because she was in the middle of her loving family and her community and she loved her school and she loved her nurses and she loved all the things that she got to do every day until the very end. She was with us and really in it with us. She would never have survived in a hospital and as loving as the people who work in hospitals and nursing homes are, she would not have had the same life and would not have lived as long. I'm convinced of it. I don't think she would have seen three. I have so much to be grateful for that Julie was able to step out of herself and her own family and her own life and push things forward that impacted people like us and our family 15 years later. It was just a miracle and a blessing to have her. I noted that she died young. I mean, 72 is pretty young these days and she died of a heart attack. And I have to say, it made me think about the wear and tear on a mother, on a family, on parents in raising their medical kids, um, all kids with disabilities really. But of course my experience is from the medical side. And it is just um, something that, I think about because as much as she created so much for us, we still have so much more to do. There still needs to be more support for families uh, raising their kids with disabilities in the community. There still needs to be more support for adults with disabilities. And it needs to be an, um, uh, an environment that's embraced and where you feel supported and warm and and able to, you know, really get everything that you need for every member of your family. I don't know how we're going to get there, honestly. Um, we've made so many great strides. But I, I sit here today thinking that we still have so much to do. And maybe if Julie Beckett hadn't had so much on her shoulders for so many years, maybe she wouldn't have died of a heart attack at 72. I don't know. I'm speculating. And I'm just... I'm, I'm saying that because I know how I feel. Um, you know, I've had 
back injuries that won't quit and knees that are killing me. And I had arthritis surgery in one hand because, you know, of all the lifting that I have done with Elizabeth and her wheelchair and all her equipment through the years, it took its toll on me. Um, you know, I feel like my body's kind of broken and, you know, as I'm sitting here today and thinking about Elizabeth's birthday that just passed, she would have been 26. It's been, you know, nine birthdays now that I've missed with her. I'm still grateful for the 17 years that we did have. And I'm grateful to people like Julie Beckett. So as you are thinking about what can I do to make our lives better, but also the lives of other people in the disability community, if you have an idea, bring it forward. And, you know, that brings me to our guest today, who is part of some groundbreaking ideas when it comes to delivering services in the community. The services are speech therapy, speech and language therapy. And, you know, it's something that they were doing long before the pandemic. I mean, they had already started delivering services virtually, which is an amazing blessing for many, many people. Lenora Edwards works for a company called Better Speech, and you can find them at betterspeech.com. And they have um, all of their speech therapists fully licensed and with an average of like 10 years of experience. They accept insurance. You can use your flex spending accounts. And I don't mean this to be a, you know, an advertisement for them. I really don't. But it's innovative the way that they are delivering service to the community. I know that I had so much difficulty running around to all different appointments for Elizabeth all the time. And if we had then what we have now with the virtual appointments, it really could have made a difference in our life. Clearly there are some issues with, you know, how virtual services get delivered, but there are so many benefits and so many positives And I would love for you to um, check it out, listen to this podcast, let me know what you think. Um, Better Speech has a team of over 150 therapists all over the U.S. And it's just um, so interesting what they are doing. So again, you know, if you find this information and these topics of interest to you, I would love to hear from you. I do get some good responses, but I'd love to get more. Please let me know if there's anything that you would like us to cover and, you know, maybe um, have a little thought or meditation or prayer today during your day, if you have a minute for Julie Beckett and thank her for all of the hard work that she did on behalf of all of our families. Here we go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Today, we are going to have a fascinating discussion, I can't talk today, with Lenora Edwards, who is a speech and language pathologist, and um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about designations. We're going to talk about 
really most importantly today, virtual therapy. Oh, I've been waiting for this podcast (laughs) because I have a lot of questions. I'm so ready to dig in and welcome, welcome, Lenora. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Annette. It's so nice to be here. I really appreciate your time and and your your input and your questions. So by all means, whatever you have, I'm I'm all ears for you. And I love um when you know when you get tongue tied. And I usually go, (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Good thing this isn't live. Um, (laughs) So uh, just so the audience knows, Lenora has some really awesome energy going on right now. We had a very brief but really awesome pre-chat before we jumped (laughs) on board. And I want you to know that we're going to have a lot of the resources and links in our show notes because Lenora's website for the company that she works for is really helpful. And um, they have a lot of information there. It was it was fun just bonking around. So Mm -hmm. it's called Better Speech. And you can go to betterspeech.com to get there. Uh, Still going to be in the show notes, but wanted to just throw that out there. So, you know, there's always a beginning to a story, Lenora. When did you decide that you wanted to do speech and language pathology? How did you get interested in that? I actually got interested in it very, um, very early on. I actually started out in college. I started in nursing and I, nurses are absolutely incredible. My, my mother's a nurse, my godmother's a nurse, and they're just absolutely amazing people. And, um, it, it twisted a little bit because as, as much as I wanted to, to care for people, it just wasn't quite aligning with where I was. And what I was really passionate about at the time was learning sign language and how other people were communicating. So I took myself over to the building next door and that's how I started learning more about speech therapy. And I just got enrolled in that program at the university that I was studying at. Wonderful. Yeah. I remember learning sign language at very young age as Mm. actually as a teenager and how interesting it was. And then later on, my daughter Elizabeth went to uh, Perkins school for the blind. So their sign language was part of the deaf blind program and part of the program for students with multiple disabilities. So Mm. it was, it was fun kind of relearning some things. I've never learned a lot of sign language, but it was (laughs) fantastic and fascinating. Absolutely. just a few weeks ago, we had on Mama Who um, of Mama Who Hears, and wow. she talked a lot about audiology. She's an audiologist mm-hmm. and, you know, um, what to do when your child first gets diagnosed and mm-hmm. with either um, hearing loss or hearing impairment. Um, and that was a really good conversation. So I'm super excited to kind of lean into this next as like, the next thing. Not that speech and language therapy is used only for people with hearing loss. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what does a speech and language pathologist do? What is this job? As a speech language pathologist, I usually like to say we we work from the neck and up. So we actually are highly educated. We we carry our initials. Actually, you'll see some people will say MA or MS, and it means that we have our master's degree, and then you'll see CCC. And what it is, it's the the board recogni- recognized um, certificate of clinical competence. And it indicates that we've now gone through high education and that we have also passed our boards. And then SLP is for speech language pathologist. So we run the gamut. We see people with difficulty swallowing. We see people with difficulty with voice disorders or voice difficulties. 
We see people with actual difficulty expressing themselves clearly. And we also see people who might have difficulty hearing and people who might actually have cognitive difficulties. So we really see a, a wide range of, of people. We work with little ones um, as early as the NICU if they're having feeding difficulties. And we also work with the geriatric population. So it's a big variety that we're talking about here. Yeah, that was yeah. actually my first introduction to SLP was because my daughter, who was a preemie, mm-hmm. was having difficulty feeding. Yeah. And we did um, swallow studies and we mm-hmm. did, you know, some consultations with a speech and language pathologist um, yeah. and an OT as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We do work very out. closely with them and even physical therapists, depending on where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like you're in all different types of settings too. What kind Mm -hmm. of settings do SLPs usually work in? It depends on the person. So for example, me, I've actually, I've had over 10 years of experience and I have been in a pediatric intensive care unit. I've been in the adult intensive care unit. I've also worked in skilled nursing facilities and in the school setting. So I really Mm -hmm. like to have, um, I've gained a lot of knowledge from where, where I live and I've worked in hospitals in different areas. So it just depends on the individual, on um, where their area they really like. I, I have colleagues that have specialized in pediatrics and that's, that's the population that they've treated for, you know, 20 years. And it really just is a preference. So um, it, it's quite wide yeah. <laughs> and, and we have a lot of variety, which is great. Um, with specifically with, with, um, where I am right now, right now I've gone completely virtual. So I, I, with better speech, I do see people all online, all via zoom or Skype and they are pediatrics, you know, little ones who are learning to talk. And they are also adults with voice difficulties or adults who've also experienced strokes and are having difficulty finding their words. So it really is, like I said, a wide variety. And you enjoy the variety. I do. I really, I love to help people. And I think that's really common among speech language pathologists. We love to communicate. We love to help people. We are here to to answer as many questions as possible and to offer as much information as possible. And was, I think really with the with the pandemic, this entire group and even the world has really expanded in that desire to communicate. It's very natural for us as humans to want to communicate. And it's just completely gone so incredibly wide and wow. fast. Yeah. Technology. I, I want to ask you about that in a minute, but first I want to just have a couple of questions about the, the designations again, just because I know that as a newer parent, uh, mm-hmm. many years ago, I won't tell you how many, mm-hmm. I, I, I was very confused. It's our first foray into this clinical world, and it's hard to know who you're getting. So sometimes mm-hmm. you would have therapy assistants mm-hmm. you know, in the school or in early intervention or something mm-hmm. like that. And my understanding, and I could be wrong about this, is that not all states require you to pass your boards in order to do this work. I know in my mm-hmm. state in Massachusetts, you do have to mm-hmm. you know, do the boards, but how do people know exactly what they're getting mm-hmm. with their therapist? And, you know, are there other 
other designations that we should be aware of? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. How to know who you're going to and what kind of information you're getting. That's a phenomenal question. So with the initials that, that typically we carry, my understanding is the programs that are now being offered by universities are all master's levels, whether they're five years programs or you end up doing a bachelor's and then um, you do four years at one and then you go on to another. Mm-hmm. They are carrying their master's at this point. You do and you will come across some people in some states that are SLP A's in their speech language pathology assistant. So they carry out the treatment plan. And that would be the difference. Those are those are few and far between, at least. I, I haven't come across too many. And it's not that they don't know information. I mean, these people absolutely, especially if they're an assistant, they've they've been grandfathered in. So they have a, a deeper level of knowledge only because they have more years of experience. Right. But they're not too it, they're, they're less common as of right now that I've personally seen. I live in the state of Pennsylvania and I I don't work with many assistants. I don't think I've worked with a assistant in my 10 years of working. So it is um it is from that standpoint <clears throat> that's that's who you would be getting. So for example, if you had you know, you mentioned coming into this world or for little ones who are are learning, especially they're growing during this pandemic and we've now covered our face. Parents aren't quite sure what to what to be looking for and how much the mask is really impeding their ability to understand communication when they're out in the community or when they're in nursery school or when where they are. So it is definitely approaching a a new communication level that we want to be very, very aware of. I was so going to ask you about that. So I've been reading a lot about children who, and I have some little ones in my own family mm-hmm. who have never known a world without a mask. Yeah. And they are, you know, I I'm reading and I don't know how realistic or how, mm-hmm. you know, accurate this is that, um, the younger generation, these mm-hmm. you know, under three-year-olds, under four-year-olds are having much more difficulty with speech mm-hmm. and language than any other generation before yeah. them. Is that accurate? It, I, for me and my personal experience, I I do see that with the the little ones that I do interact with because what's happening is there when if if your little one is going to a facility where they need to cover their mouth they're missing a lot of facial cues a lot of social communication you know between y- your face communicates expresses a lot of information our voice carries a tone and now that we've added the mask now we can't see their mouth moving as clearly we can't hear them as clearly and we're now changing the social cues that are coming in to that person. So if you're having an adult communicating with a little one, a little one's now having to learn a pattern in a very different way than we have been known and designed as humans. We're, we're interpreting this information. So they, they are up against a bit of a challenge right now. From, and their from brains covering. are not mature enough to really mm-hmm. take in those um, non-speech cues. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's very important that when you're, when you do feel like your parents or, you know, um, whoever's taking care of that little one, 
the the individual or the full family when they feel safe and they feel comfortable to remove that mask to be really expressive to be exaggerated and playful let them see what your mouth is doing let them hear and play with their voice and getting them to model so that they understand that that the speech tone that's coming from a mask is also different than a tone that's coming out and it's really excited and and expressive Mm -hmm. and seeing that animation in their face, because we do get so much information from, from our face. And I think with technology, it's brought us to such a beautiful new place because yes, the mask is in place in some places. Absolutely. And that is beyond some of our controls But the fact that we can then go home and communicate or we can go somewhere else and we can get this social information from Zoom and FaceTime is phenomenal. The the technology that we have really makes a difference. Awesome. Love hearing that. Yeah, definitely. So what about the impact on the disability community on, you know, both young and old Mm -hmm. um, with you know, also being masked up for them, people with uh, hearing loss. Uh, we had Mama Who on mm-hmm. um, to uh, talk about, you know, her um, a- as an audiologist, what mm-hmm. her perspective was on things. Now, as yeah. a therapist, how do you see the disability community being impacted? Um, as a therapist, seeing the disability community being impacted is in a different way because now they're, they don't have the same structure in place, you know, especially when we were all in lockdown, you mm-hmm. took away a routine that they were used to, or that they were starting to get used to, or that they could get used to that became completely eliminated. And now they're, they're, you know, told to stay in one place and in the home and for individuals that might not have been in their best individual interest. So parents had to get really creative gardens had to get really fresh ideas of how can we communicate with them? How can we continue to offer information to them and structure in this very new way? And so it, people had to get creative and they had to get creative fast. And absolutely. And being aware of where they were supposed to be meeting those markers or how they were learning. So if they were learning something in school and now that that information, we can't bring them to school. So how can I still get them that information to them? Their brains are still evolving. They're still wanting to communicate. We can't freeze. So how can we keep moving forward and making that progress? Right. That was was really, um, you know, really impactful to people. And I think the, the networks that started to get creative were really, really important for people. Yeah, that's so true. When um, so when we first went into lockdown, mm-hmm. parents or caregivers were expected to become the therapists all of a sudden with no training. Everything. And they, yeah. you know, a- until everybody got the hang of this Zoom thing or mm-hmm. this, you know, virtual thing, yeah. it was really difficult to mm-hmm. take a little bit of instruction and then have to follow through all day, five days a week, seven Absolutely. days a week, whatever. Yeah. Um, not that we all didn't get involved before, but it was not the same thing. We weren't expected. Yeah. We were expected to uh, to solidify lesson plans, not come up with them, and mm-hmm. not you know. And the same thing with a, a therapeutic intervention or treatment plan. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to kind of roll into this next part of our conversation. Yeah. 
how early and quickly did you adapt and go virtual um, at that time, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic? Can you just tell me about that? Absolutely. I actually, I was learning how to be more virtual about a year before and just trying different things and seeing what was working. And I didn't have a, a slew of time to dedicate to it. And then once the pandemic came, it was it was absolutely incredible. The communities that started to rally, people were going on YouTube and making videos. This is what I'm doing. This is what this is how I'm presenting. And how, as the therapist, can we communicate to these families who are now left with question marks and and not knowing what to do and where to go? How can we help them? Because that's really what it's about. We want to be able to help the parent and the guardian. And yes, they might spend a half hour or an hour with a speech therapist, but how can we continue to educate the family so that they know what to do, what to expect, how to navigate around those things. Yeah. And thankfully, because of the communication and because people could could come online and ask questions, it gave them a lifeline. It gave them an opening. It gave them that that outstretched hand that they were that they needed because overnight they had to become the teacher, the 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 not only the parent, they had to then be the science teacher, the math teacher, the um the the babysitter, you know, depending, they had so many hats to change so quickly. Yeah. And it was really overwhelming in addition to worrying about everyone's health. Right. It was a lot. It was a lot. And finances and all of those things. Yeah. Because everything changed in a minute. It did. It it was, uh, it it stretched us all to the max as flexible as we can tend to be in Mm -hmm. the disability community. It really stretched us to the max. Yeah, absolutely. But the company that you work for, Better Speech, Mm -hmm. um, they did more and developed more than just a therapeutic model. Absolutely. You have, you, because of the pandemic and, mm-hmm. you know, because of everything that we've been through and all the changes, you decided and learned that having other resources like a practice library and so forth would be so helpful for people. Can you talk to me about how that all evolved? Absolutely. The, when, um, you know, when you, as a parent, and I try to, I try to flip the tables and think about how other people might feel when you have questions about your little one, or when you have questions of like, is this normal? And you want to talk to an expert, or you want to talk to that professional, you don't have the, the, oh, okay, I'll wait here four weeks until my appointment arrives. You have questions now. And that's the beautiful thing about better speech is that we are there with you. And we've been there. We've been there long before the pandemic. And we have these things that are already in place. We know how the communication style works via Zoom. We're really comfortable with that. We already know that what the, one of the great things is that not only is it convenient, we are right there. We can, we can accommodate your schedule. We have over 150 therapists across the U.S. Across the country. That's across great. The, yeah. And, and going internationally. And that's fantastic because I don't have to live in Pennsylvania to have a Pennsylvania therapist, like the therapist needs to be licensed, but I also have clients in Florida and in Colorado. And that's the great thing is that you, when you need help, the help is there. All you have to do is, is go to our website, betterspeech.com and 
and start that process. You don't have to wait four weeks. You don't have to wait six months to get an in-person evaluation. We're right there for you and we're on that schedule with you. So I think that was one of the great things. And, and especially in the pandemic, now you had clinics that were closed. You had appointments that couldn't be taken care of. And now you have thousands of questions that in this appointment that you've now possibly waited four or five months for is gone. That's really nerve wracking. That's really upsetting to, to this person who wanted help, who needed help. And now we're going, sorry, can't help you. But as clinicians with better speech, we are there for you. And that's a phenomenal thing to know there is a lifeline, there is support, there is help. And I know that that model really drew you in because absolutely, you just like really want to help people. That's that's where truly, you're at. You know? Truly, truly. I think that, you know, even if you, if anybody ever had a question, we on betterspeech.com, there's a button where it says free consultation and you can get in touch with us so quickly, so, so quickly. And that's really important because when you have questions bubbling up, yes. you, you need, you want answers because you want to help that person you're with or some, some adults, they have questions, their voice is changing, or they're having difficulty swallowing. I want to talk to somebody to have some direction, some support. I can't say I can absolutely confirm every single answer and every single diagnosis, but I can get you the help that you need. I can answer your questions. And if I can't answer them, I can guide you where to go next. And that's where we are with better speech is that we, we can offer that help. Mm, I love it. And I think that it serves a purpose beyond just, um, you know, having access during the pandemic, because there's so many people who don't have Mm -hmm. SLPs in their community, people who live in rural communities or, Mm -hmm. who you know, just live really far away from a clinical center. Mm -hmm. Now they don't have to travel people who really can't get out that much. You know, I mean, I I had that experience with my daughter, Elizabeth, getting out to an appointment was, it was like an all day thing, just trying to, you know, get all the equipment, get the oxygen, get the Mm -hmm. feeding tube, everything Mm -hmm. and, you know, get out. But this way, you don't have to do that. No. Um, but here's the other benefit that I just love. You really, as a caregiver, parent, whoever you are, you get to be right there because it's virtual, it's on mm-hmm. Zoom, and you're seeing everything mm-hmm. happening rather than, you know, kind of dropping somebody off at a clinic appointment mm-hmm. or whatever. And it, it's so more collaborative, so much more collaborative this way. Absolutely. Are you finding that people are much more involved, family members, caregivers, et cetera? Absolutely. Because a lot of the time when I was in the clinic setting, me specifically, I would, the, the little one would separate from the parent or the guardian typically because they needed to have that structure in place of transitioning into a different authority or a different caregiver authority figure, whatever label you'd like to use and understanding this is still a teacher. This is where I'm going to my classroom now. And sometimes you would have the observation room. Sometimes it was available. Sometimes it wasn't. Now what we have is the ability to, I don't have to educate the parent in three seconds before I go see another client. I now get the time to work with the the little one or, or work with the other individual. They not necessarily little, they might be 17. Right. Um, I get the ability to work with them and 
coach and teach that parent or guardian. And that's a great thing because it's everybody coming together to create this collective cohesive help and care to this person who's having difficulty, whether it's difficulty hearing or communicating or whatever the case may be, we're all there. And it's so much more unified and connected and cohesive. And that's a phenomenal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially in the, in the pandemic, what I did try to encourage parents to do or guardians to do was when it was time to learn when it was time to, cause you know, when you're on FaceTime with a family member, it's totally different. You can be on the couch and that's fine. Yeah. When to help implement structure, I would encourage them to create a small classroom, put that table in place, put that chair in place, have them have a setting where they know this is where I'm transitioning to learn. This is where I transition to play because you can get really wrapped up quickly and thinking, so oh, it's FaceTime. Yeah, that's so helpful. Yeah. That's, that's a great tip. Yeah. Um, I have a practical question for you. Always. Does insurance still pay for virtual visits? And Absolutely. do you still, you know, and then would you still need a um, a referral to speech and language That's pathology? A, that's a great, great, phenomenal question. We at Better Speech, we do accept insurance and we are accepting more insurances each, each month, which is phenomenal. When it comes to insurance, so say, for example, you were an adult and you were having some difficulty with your voice or you're having some difficulty finding your words and you you didn't quite know what was going on, you can reach out to us at Better Speech and we can guide you. We can work with you. We can work with you one-on-one. They're all one-on-one sessions. We can we can offer you our information. So if you if you think, you know what, I'm, something isn't quite right, but let me talk to somebody, mm. you can make that one-time payment and it's incredibly affordable, which is fantastic. Or if you're thinking, you know, I need virtual, I know my, my person or this care, I need, you know, more care than one visit. We can also offer you the, the billing information and work with that insurance company. So that way you're, you are covered, whether it's a hundred percent covered or whatever the percentage is that depends on, you know, the insurance company, um, and that type of coverage. When it does come to insurance, I'm quite sure you do need that physician order. Mm-hmm. The great thing is, is that in this world today, we can all contact our physician via message and say, hey, I need, uh, I would like some yeah. speech therapy orders. I'm concerned about language. And I don't think I've ever come interacted with a physician who said no to that, um, you know, as individuals, we do have our rights when it comes to that medical field and, and advocating for ourselves is a right. So, um, I don't, I've never encountered somebody saying no, but that is a great, great question. Do we accept insurance? And the answer is yes. at better speech. Yeah. I know I've gotten a few questions about this over the last few months where people are really concerned that, Mm -hmm. um, the insurance companies are going to stop paying for virtual visits. Mm -hmm. So, um, when it comes to therapy, at least we know that that's not the case. Yes, um, as, as far as right as now, <laughs> yeah. Physicians go and mental health providers. Mm-hmm. There, it's different depending on where you are. Definitely. So um, that's really exciting that people yeah. can still do virtual clinical visits. That's absolutely like, great. 
I'm very well, interested you know, to see if, oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. That's, um, that's what happens when I get so excited. <laughs> I'm very interested to see how it's going to, how the pandemic and how the virtual teletherapy, the telepractices are going to evolve and what insurances are going to do because they are so important. And people who might not have been getting the therapy they need are now getting the therapy they need or not getting the visits they need are now getting the visits they need. So it will be interesting to see how this does evolve in the, in the healthcare community. Okay. So I have uh, one more question, which is, you know, for someone who is profoundly impacted, Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, there's gotta be some difficulty in doing this virtually, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. How do you overcome the, the difficulty in working with someone who, um, you know, like my daughter, for example, she, she was blind. So mm-hmm. she would not have been able to really utilize mm-hmm. Zoom as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how do you, um, how do you overcome those complexities? Absolutely. And that's a great question. And I think when it comes to communication, we want to communicate. So even if the person could not see, or if the person was having difficulty hearing, we can still find other ways to communicate with that person. So for example, not being able to see, but the voice can still carry and the caregiver can still communicate that, that whatever they're trying to communicate. So think about, for example, if you were trying to communicate with somebody that you wanted to that you were there to help them. How else can we communicate help beyond our visual? We change our approach in our voice. We change our approach in our touch. So if the caregiver was there, it's a different touch. It's a different hold. How can we set them up for success? Because, you know, in the middle of the day, they might be not having a great day. They might be really upset that that individual. How can we set them up for success? Might they need a different time? Might they need something in addition to that connection of working with a therapist? Do they need a special a special drink or a special snack, a special blanket? How else can we communicate ultimately to that individual? Sensory-wise, auditory, visual, you know, the, that other information. Because Zoom is great when we can see the other person. But if we can't, how else can we still tell them we're here for them? We want to communicate and we're listening. Nice. Yeah. Is there anybody for whom the the virtual therapy is not recommended? I think that would be on a personal, um, on a, on a case by case basis. I have a individual who I do see, um, virtually and some days are really, really strong and other days might not be as strong. So how else we're still working through that and seeing how else can we create that, that effective communication with them on that day, whether it's something they might be eating that might be irritating them, whether it's a sleep pattern association, you know, um, we try to communicate with whomever is in place because they, the, the 10 year old with profound difficulties can't tell me that they are having an upset stomach. So I have to communicate more effectively with that parent or guardian, whoever's taking care of them. How else can we help? 
what else can we do? Because yes, we are speech language pathologists, but at the same time, we're looking at people as a whole, right? What else is going on? How else can we, we offer guidance and input and, and, and keep moving people forward so that that individual knows that they're heard, they're seen, they're accepted. And we want to know what else they're thinking and feeling and that they're important. Sometimes it's such a puzzle, right? And mm. you're just trying to put all the pieces together and figure Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's you, just when you think you have it figured out, then you've now leveled to a new, a new, you welcome to a new stage. And mm. now some of those pieces work. And now what else is in my toolbox? Yeah. How else can I can I keep communicating and keep moving yeah. forward? Ever yeah. moving target for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, listen, I would love for you because I'm I'm running out of time. <laughs> I always do this. Um, I would love to know if you have any, you know, last tips that you would like to leave with our audience regarding doing virtual speech and language therapy. Absolutely. If if any of your your listeners or or anybody that we communicate with and and pass this along to your friends, if you have questions, if you have concerns reach out to us at Better Speech. We offer a free 30-minute consultation. If you have questions, come talk to us. If you're unsure, come talk to us. We are here for you. And, and that I think is the most important is that we're here, we're ready. Come, come talk to us. How can we help? That's awesome. Thank you. I do recommend going to check out the website, betterspeech.com. It's really great. And um Lenora is really great. And thank you so much. <laughs> I know you, that you have such a big passion for what you do. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. All right. Have a good evening. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.